Most of you Southern Baptists don't know what to do with that, do you? I saw you out there tapping your foot, man. That's all right. It's all right. Well, that's what we're going to talk about, getting our groove on this year. We're going to kick it off this morning in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And do thank Casey so much for uh, putting that together. Man, God has given him a gift, and man, I'm glad he's using it here. And uh, so encouraging to hang out with him and see what all God's doing. But we're going to talk about get your groove on. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, that's in the Old Testament. You got it there in front of you. Say amen. Let me invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll read verse 9 through 18. The Bible says, Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son... Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. And as for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Let's bow together. Father, it's a great privilege to open up your word again this morning. And God, you know, <clears throat> it's my heart that our church will be a praying church. Uh, Father, as I've lifted that up to you uh, several times before, I continue to lift that up to you even this morning. Uh, God, that we wouldn't be a church that uh, talks about prayer and reads about prayer, but God, we'd actually be a church that prays, seeking you with our whole heart, desiring for your glory and your name to be renowned. And so, Father, put that on our hearts today and move us as you did in our first service uh, to focus our attention on really seeking hard after you and what you so desire not only for this fellowship, but also for our communities. And God, we're in desperate need of who you are. And we trust in this moment that only you and you alone can bring about a refreshment or a revival in our hearts. So God, I pray for every individual uh, who's here this morning, praying that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, spark a revival in their soul, a refreshness for your word, a great desire to worship. And Father, uh, a phenomenal desire to reach out with the good news of the gospel that others may hear and may believe and may be saved. And God, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to every single person in the building today. And God, those who don't know you personally, I pray that you draw them to salvation. Those who do know you, may we be strengthened in our walk with you. And may you, Lord, be pleased with our time together today. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And you can uh, be seated. So get your groove on. You know, this year, that's what I want us, our church to do is actually be in the groove. A church that is in the groove, what does it look like? Well, a church that's in the groove is a church that prioritizes prayer. A great move of God does not happen in a grooveless church. You know, we stand together uh, to influence more darkness this year than any year previous. We stand on the edge of making more disciples this year than any year previous. On January the 20th, we'll begin another worship service 
and a new Sunday school hour. This will actually position us to double our small group Sunday school efforts and add additional space for worship. You know, Concord, we exist to make disciples everywhere. We want to lead others to worship, reach, to grow, and to serve. And I believe this will be a great test of our fellowship's faith in the Lord. I also sense that this will be a test of our seriousness about making disciples. You know, we give glory to God for what we have witnessed Him do in our midst over the years. But now is not the time for us to rest on our laurels. You know, as you look at this uh, fellowship and how God has used it over many, many years, it's amazing. Somebody said if you walked from the older portion of the building and just walked through all of the buildings, you can see God's handiwork throughout this church where God has raised up leaders, where more people have come to faith in Jesus Christ, where families have been restored, where lives have been changed, and all the way up. So you go from the old sanctuary into the fellowship hall, the education space, the new world worship center, which is this, and then behind us you've got a building, on the top the children, on the bottom are the students, and it's just growing uh, by leaps and bounds, and to God be the glory for that, amen? God has worked in Concord over the course of many, many, many years, and if we're not careful, we will sit back and say, that's enough, and rest, but this is not the time for us to rest. You know, Israel fell into this trap in the great days of the prophet Haggai. They were given a God-given task to rebuild the temple of God. However, their priorities were all out of whack. They began to focus on themselves and what they could do and completely neglected the work of God. And you know, God has given us as a New Testament church the task to make disciples everywhere. It's right in the Great Commission. We didn't make it up. The Lord gave it to us. And we stand in danger as well of neglecting that work. So question is, are you making it a discipline in your life to gather for worship? You know, I read into my devotional this past week in the book of Hebrews where the scripture says, Do not forsake the assembling together of the brothers. In other words, if I can kind of modern day translate that, don't skip church. Go to church. Is that a discipline in your life? If it is not, then make it. Are you making it a discipline in your life that you would reach out to others with the gospel? Is there people that you have in mind that you want to reach out to this year and share the good news of Jesus Christ? Those who are far from God, who can be brought near to God through the gospel of Jesus and how he radically saves. Who are you seeking to reach out to? If no one, then find someone and begin. Then are you making it a discipline to grow in your walk with God? Spending time with him daily in devotion, praying, spending time in his word, allowing God to speak to you. Are you doing that? If not, then start. And then are you making it a discipline to serve in your area of spiritual giftedness? You know, God, at the moment of your salvation, not only gave you the Holy Spirit to indwell you, but also gave you a spiritual gift. And that gift is given to you and I that we might edify and build the church. So are you exercising that spiritual gift? If not, then find out what it is and start. You know, with each passing year, there is a shorter amount of time that we possess on earth to make more disciples. Therefore, we cannot take our eyes off of this God-given task. And together, we can experience a new move of God in which we learn to stay in the groove with Him. That is, being a pastor in the groove, being a church family that is in the groove, a fellowship that is spending time in prayer. So how do we get to that point? Uh, what does it really look like to be in the groove? Well, we're going to begin seeing that as we notice the life of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I've read just a portion of scripture concerning her life and her prayer life. But there are three phases or phrases rather that I want to give you this morning that will help you 
in this new year, really start off in the groove, in a time of prayer. So let me give you the first phrase. Are y'all ready to say yes? The first one is complete desperation. Complete desperation. So as the scripture has done, let me introduce you once again to Hannah. She was one of the two wives of Elkanah. The other's wife was named Penina. Unlike Penina, she had a massive issue. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 2, notice in your Bible, uh, he had two wives. That's not the major issue, although that is a major one. <laughs> the name of one was Hannah, and the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but notice this, but Hannah had no children. See, in those days, for a woman to not have a child was often seen as a curse from the Lord. But her husband still loved her uh, unconditionally. Notice verse uh, 4 and 5. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and all her daughters. And she was like a fertile myrtle, right? <laughs> Y'all in the Bible here? But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord closed her womb. Now, I want you to take notice of that last phrase there. The Lord closed her womb. Listen, God is sovereign over all things that occur in our lives. God's closing her womb was a driving force to her complete desperation. God had set the stage in Hannah's life for her to become a prayer warrior. It was not only a problem that she was barren, but also she was reminded of it continually by her rival, Penina. Notice verse 6 in your Bible. It's like a soap opera here. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year as often as she went up to the house of the Lord that she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. See, Penina was driven by wickedness to mock Hannah and her barrenness. Now, how would Hannah respond? And this is where we see Hannah getting her groove on in the passage. Notice again verse 10. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. And that phrase, Lord of hosts, it literally means the Lord of the angel armies. So she is saying, O Lord of the angel armies, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. And that razor concept there, that's speaking about the Nazarite vow. Hannah had made this vow to the Lord that his answered prayer would bring him honor. How would that happen? Because the boy would actually be given over to God for service. And then notice in your Bible, verse 12 again, it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. And as for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk, and Eli said to her, how long are you going to make yourself drunk? Put away this wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. See, Hannah had a problem which the Lord had allowed Hannah was reminded of that problem continually by the demonic activity of Penina. Hannah, however, got her groove on seeking God in prayer, the Lord of the angel armies. Hannah was accused of being drunk, but the only thing she was pouring out was her soul before Almighty God. And she had come to God authentically bearing her burdens to him. She had relational openness with the Lord, discussing with God what was going on inside her as well as what was going on all around her. I want you to think for just a moment about your life. I wonder what situation God has allowed in your life so that it will become a driving force for your prayer life. 
Maybe you realize there's a massive problem with your marriage. Uh, to say you and your spouse are not in harmony would be an understatement. Maybe you have a son or a daughter that is far from God. They're living a rebellious life and your soul is shot. And you know it's gnawing at you because a demonic spirit continues to remind you of it. And somebody says your marriage is never going to work. Uh, you should just give up, man. Get a divorce already and just end this thing. You hear a rival in your ear. Your child is acting that way because hey, you blew it. You didn't raise him right. Or you should have spent more time with her. It's your fault. What is your response? Well, this is a time when you really need to get your groove on. You need to seek God in prayer immediately and bear your complete desperation to him. Seeking God's answer to your prayer so that God himself might be magnified among men through the answered prayer. That is unprecedented reverence where God answers the prayer and the answer itself brings glory to God and causes other people to see it and they consider God to be holy as well. You know, the married person needs to pray, O Lord of the angel armies, for your namesake, restore this broken marriage. May my cursed situation be turned for good and glory to your name. May those that mock me be put to shame because of your faithfulness. The parents need to pray, O Lord of hosts, your namesake, bring my child under your protection. Redeem them from actions which give you a bad name. Silence the enemy's accusations in my ears, and do not let me be put to shame in this matter. Let those who mock me be put to shame by your answering of my prayer. You know, your complete desperation in life is God's way of getting you to pursue him with some intensity. And then we can kind of broaden it to God's fellowship here at Concord. We must be in complete desperation to see God work in our midst like never before. Think about just America for a moment. 6,000 churches close their doors every single year. 3,500 Americans leave church every single day. Less than 20% of Americans attend church regularly. Only 15% of churches in the United States are growing numerically. And only 2% of growing churches are effectively winning converts to Jesus Christ. In other words, the other 13%, all they are experiencing is transfer growth. Only 800 new church plants survive every single year. Did you know this? 10,000 new churches will be needed annually to keep up with the population growth in America. And in our county alone, I'm told that there's a lack of Christian influence in the growing Hispanic culture. There's a lack of Christian work among those of lower-income families. There's also a lack of Christian work among those of higher-income families. And while our populations grow in Hall and White County, there's a lack of church plants among us to even make a dent in the population. Marriages are crumbling. Teenagers are wandering. Pulpits are silent. People are falling out of church by the droves. The enemy is shaking his fist at the church. He's saying, you will never make it. Don't try and make more disciples. Instead, what you should do, church, is just get together and love the people that you already have. You've reached enough. Just chill out, man. And we need to pray for God's reputation to be made known among men. We need to bend our knees to the sovereign Lord of the universe and plead on behalf of our counties. And so we as a church, and this is the call, so please listen. We as a church, not just the pastor and staff, but the whole church, man. We need to get before God and pray, O Lord of hosts, for your namesake, for your glory, make us successful in the endeavor of making disciples. 
And may the enemy and all of those who taunt the church of the living Christ be silenced by your mighty move. You know, the great preacher of Scotland by the name of John Knox so desired for his community to be redeemed that he prayed with complete desperation like no other person I've read about. Here was his prayer. He says, Oh God, give me Scotland or give me death. Give me Scotland or I die. He was so desperate for God to move in Scotland that he would rather die than to see them unreached. When I read about men like this and I read about ladies like this in Scripture and all throughout the Word of God, these people who are completely desperate for God to move, I began at that moment to take inventory in my own life, begin to take inventory in the context of the church and ask the question, how desperate are we? How desperate are we for God to give us Hall and White County? How desperate are we for God to give us northeast Georgia that his light may move out, that churches might grow, not just Concords, but others as well, reaching out with the good news of the gospel? And do our prayer lives give any indication that we really are desperate for God? Or are we so busy doing our own thing like they were in Haggai's day that God gets all of the leftovers? You know, the sad reality is that some people could say, well... If God makes disciples through the ministry of Concord, that's great. But if he doesn't, well, that's fine too, just so long as I have a place to go to and I can get to know some people. That is a sorry attitude, by the way. Are y'all listening? Instead, uh, let your pastor kind of uh, talk for just a moment and let us uh, pray together that God himself would help us get desperate for him. And let us pray that God himself would so move in the context of our church that our souls would be overwhelmed with a weighty desperation for him to move so that his son gets all the glory and that the gospel would go forth, that more people would be saved. That is the heartbeat of the New Testament church. That has to be our heartbeat, that others would become disciples of Christ. Listen, hell exists, and there's a bunch of people going there. And you and I have the opportunity in this narrow frame of life, which James says is only like a vapor, to make an impact and share the gospel so that others might be saved. Why would we sit around as a church and twiddle our thumbs and sit on chairs and shake each other's hands and leave and say, well, that was a good little service. No, no, no. We want God. And when God shows up in the context of the church, everybody knows about it. And when God begins to answer prayer, listen, not only does the church know about it, but all of hell knows about it too. We want this complete desperation. How desperate are you for God to work in your life? How desperate are you for God to work in this church? Give us, or give us death. Second phrase from Hannah's life is absolute confidence. Absolute confidence. Now, I've not seen this before until my study over the past few weeks. But notice with me uh, verse 18 in your Bible again. You got it there? Say amen. Uh, listen to what she said. Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. Here's what I want you to see, though. So the woman went her way and ate. And notice this. And her face was no longer sad. What a statement. I want you to see this. Prayer had changed her entire attitude. 
Her faith in God was so strengthened in prayer that she got up from her tears in total confidence that God would answer her prayer. She received a word from God through Eli where Eli said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition. So she stood up, her face no longer sad, she got something to eat, and she in absolute confidence was trusting God to hear her. But you know, the Hebrew author tells us, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. You know, in prayer, God reminds us of who he is. He is sovereign over all things and works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And God, through the scripture, comforts our heart and strengthens our faith. And as we focus on the nature of God, as it is revealed in the word of God, our prayers become promise-centered instead of problem-centered. So somebody says, oh, we aren't going to have enough to support ourselves this year. Scripture says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Somebody says, I'm so overwhelmed with all this happening, I'm not sure how long I can hang on. Scripture says God's grace is sufficient for you. His power is perfected in your weaknesses. And somebody says, I know that's what God wants me to do, but I just can't do it, man. It's just too hard. Scripture says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Somebody says, I don't want to go through this alone. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, you are not alone. Somebody says, well, I'll never be able to forgive her for what she did. Scripture says, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Somebody says, Concord will never be able to make an impact in all of Northeast Georgia. What are we fooling ourselves for? Scripture says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Did you hear this? Beyond anything you can ask of God, God's like, I can do that. Beyond anything you can think about God, God's like, yeah, I can do that too. How does he do it? According to his power that works within us. Did y'all hear this? God works in us and to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So God desires to work in us, through us, for his glory so that others might come to know him personally. That's what we are doing. It's our point. And I don't know what's causing you distress. I don't know what's been oppressing or beating you down, nor do I know the issue that is causing you to experience a state of spiritual depression. But I do know that when we seek God with our hearts, when we pour out our soul before the Lord God of heaven and earth, he can change the attitude of our hearts and the expression of our faces. He did it to Hannah by instilling in her confidence in his ability to answer prayer. He does it to you and I by instilling confidence in us concerning his ability to answer prayer. The scripture says, and her face was no longer sad. Listen, that scripture for some of you needs to be applied to your life that you are so completely desperate before God completely confident in him that you get up out of your prayer and your face is no longer sad God heard the prayer God will answer the prayer and you are standing on that fact and it changes you absolute confidence complete desperation third phrase here is total dedication. Are y'all listening? Say yes. 
Hannah had her child, by the way. She prayed. She got up. She gave birth to a boy by the name of Samuel. Look in verse 27 of your scripture. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So listen, I have also dedicated him to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. You know, God's answer to Hannah's prayer became her witness to God's faithfulness. Everywhere Samuel went, people knew of God's answered prayer. The name Samuel literally, literally means asked of God. So think about that. You run up to this joker whose name Samuel. He's like, what's your name? Asked of God. What, what does that mean? Well, my mama couldn't have a baby. But she went to church and she prayed earnestly. And God gave her her request. Here I am, Samuel, asked of God. Walking testimony. That's what I want church to be like. We come into the context of church, and there's like, oh, there he is over there. We've been praying for his salvation for 10 years, but God, by his grace, redeemed that man. He's radically saved. Look at him. His life is totally different. There's that marriage over there. They were on the rocks, but then they put it on the rock of Jesus Christ, and the Lord changed them radically, and now God's using them to encourage other marriages. There's that family over there. They prayed for that wayward son. Yep, the son came back in God's good timing, and they had a party, and God was faithful. Just going around church, seeing testimony after testimony after testimony. You know, when God answers our prayers, we are to dedicate those answers back to God. And the answer prayer is to be a testimony of God's faithfulness. Krista and I um, were challenged to pray in our walks with the Lord like never before. Uh, not long after we were married, Krista became uh, pregnant the second time. And she went to the doctor's office and they ran some scan and some tests on her to come to find out that she actually uh, had a hemorrhage and that the child would not make it. So they went ahead and prepared her to let her know that that's going to be the case. And so she shared that with me with tears in her eyes. And we began to pray. And that week I was preaching at our church about prayer and challenging the church to pray over and over and often. I still remember the sermon. Probably should have preached it this morning. But anyway, so preaching over or praying over and over and often. And I challenged the church and encouraged everybody, let's pray for God to move in the life of my wife, to heal her, to heal this child. And we prayed and everybody prayed and sought the Lord. She goes back to the doctor's appointment. They run the same test on her. And then all of a sudden they're all dumbfounded. Because what once was there was no longer there. Well, how does this happen? God. That's a good answer, by the way. <laughs> Just God did it. And then we, we, she gave birth to the child. I was there, but I wasn't a, really a part. The whole, the birth happened. And then we named her. And what was wild is that we were looking for a name leading up to her birth. And I did the funeral of a, a dear lady in our church that we loved. And her name was Alma, but her middle name was Maddie. And Krista, that's the first time we even knew it, saw it right there on the program for the funeral circuit and said, I love that name, Maddie. So we named her Maddie. But then we came to her middle name and we named her Eve. Now what does Eve mean? Life. So anytime now we say Maddie Eve, it is a reminder to us of God's faithfulness to answer prayer. 
And anytime we have the opportunity to share where we got her name from, it's an opportunity for us to share with individuals how God answered prayer. That's what we do. We walk with God. Why in the world would you want to come to church where you don't do nothing? That was a good question, I think. You go and sit, and you listen to a sermon, and you go home. It's like, all right, we went to church. We'll see y'all next Sunday. Really? Come on, man. There's got to be more to it than that. Here, here's what's wild. Uh, the God that I'm preaching about, the God that I'm speaking to, is the same God of the Scripture. And the God of Scripture who supernaturally works in the midst of his people can supernaturally work in the midst of his people even today. The problem is that we ain't got desperate enough. It's like, we don't care if it works or not. Really? Come on, man. Let's begin to ask God to do some great things. And then sit back and watch him do it and give him glory for it. Or we can come to church every Sunday and look at each other. Y'all all right? And by the way, that's what a lot of churches are doing. They're just getting together. They have a little singing, a little uh, devotion, shake one another's hands and go home and come back next week, do the same thing, same people every single week. Hey, let me, let me. Y'all all right? I wasn't going to share this, but it just came to my brain, so. What I want y'all to hear is how God begins to work in the context of the church. When those who had received his word were baptized, that day there were added about 3,000 souls. What? They what? Wait a minute. They went to church. This dude gets up and preaches a sermon, which looks like it might be five minutes long. Here's what you Be saved from this perverse generation. 3,000 people got saved. <laughs> Y'all think that might have messed some stuff up? 3,000 people were saved. You're like, well, the Lord doesn't do that anymore. That's because we don't ask Him to. We don't desire Him to. We don't pray for him too. Listen, adding a third service, adding a Sunday school hour, uh, doing all these little things to our schedule means absolutely nothing if we do not pray and God does not work. The goal is not just to get a bunch more people to come to church so we can look at each other and say, look at our church. The goal is to get people out of hell so they can go to heaven, so they can know God. It's the goal. It drives me nuts. Y'all all right? People are like, well, bless God, they'll just want to get a bunch of people to go to church down there. So? Is that bad? It's like Jesus says, go out in the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. I guess Jesus wants everybody to go to church. <laughs> Y'all all right? And people's like, if it, if it grows too fast, it'll get out of our hands. I pray the Lord it stays out of our hands. So here's the challenge for you and uh, for me that we would get our groove on this year. 
And I got you something to help you. Y'all see the CD you received when you came in? Grab it right quick. Pull it open real quick. Go, 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 go. If you open it up there, you'll see there's 10 tracks in here. Now, don't try to put this in your CD player. Pull it out. It's actually a devotional. It's a 10-day devotional leaning us toward uh, 3 2 one, with three services, two worship, or three services, two Sunday schools, one mission. That's to make disciples. But in this, tomorrow morning, I would encourage you, very short, I wrote them uh, real short so we can all stick together. To get up tomorrow morning, you can read this. Uh, get your groove on. Starts with pray without ceasing. Gives you practical ways to pray. But you'll go all the way through this for the next five days. Then you'll come to church Sunday. Then you'll finish the next five the following week. And this will put us all praying in the same way. Everybody down with that? Say yes. We're just praying. Seeking God. Where God would move. Let's not become a dead church. Amen. Yeah, let's bow together. Father, um, help us grow.